Hello, and welcome to another episode of Crimes and Witch Demeanors, the podcast where we use historic and archival resources to investigate ghost stories and separate fact from fiction. I'm your host and lovable librarian, Joshua Spellman. Before we get to the episode, there's just some quick housekeeping I want to, like, take care of. I hope the new podcast artwork didn't spook you. I love the original illustration that I had. My good Judy, Gianna Ligamari, made it for the podcast, and I am still using it for the website and other branding. But for the podcast thumbnail, I need something a little bit more punchy, a little bit more graphic to kind of draw attention for new listeners. So... I hope you don't mind the change. I did it as a stress doodle while I was waiting for updates while my mom was in the hospital, and I kind of fell in love with it, and I hope that you do too. If not, I'm sorry, sucks to suck, but uh, I digress. On today's episode, we're making like the devil and heading on down to Georgia. Most people's minds go straight to Savannah when picturing the haunted South, but today we're setting our sights on a smaller, lesser-known town of Americus. Specifically, we're honing in on the historic Windsor Hotel. Among the living, many denizens of the dead are said to be checked in as permanent guests. But are the only true spirits those on the shelf in the pub? Well, we're going to find out today. So here is the alleged history of the ghosts of America's Georgia's Windsor Hotel. Windsor Hotel, despite being located in the small city of Americus, Georgia, is a grand and opulent structure, not unlike the castle across the pond that shares its name. Like Windsor Castle, the hotel has housed great figures of history and harbors ghosts of the past. In August of 1888, a reporter for the Americus Recorder discovered John Sheffield and Ross Harper measuring the city square. When the reporter inquired as to why, Mr. Sheffield responded simply, because Major Moses Spear and Papa told me to. Without hesitation, the reporter rushed to the bank of southwestern Georgia and asked to speak with the president, Major Moses Spear, to get the real scoop on the story. Major Spear told the reporter that he planned on building a hotel and that, quote, the hotel will be built and in short order. There is no doubt about that. It will be a building worthy of the city. And indeed, it would be. Two architects submitted plans for the hotel, W.H. Parkins and G.L. Norman. At their first meeting on March 21, 1888, the selection committee for the project, which consisted of S.H. Hawkins, John Windsor, and C.M. Wheatley, greatly favored the design drafted by Parkins. Parkins' plans for the hotel was to erect a square, four-story wooden structure with 120 rooms. The front of the building would run the entire length of Jackson Street, and the corner would house two additional floors. However, G.L. Norman would not take no for an answer, and the remainder of the corporation preferred his design. Norman described his plan as being a more fanciful character, greatly resembling the Hotel Alcazar at St. Augustine, which, by the way, is the modern-day Ripley's Believe It or Not building. Norman's design was a brick structure of three and five stories in height. It contained 100 rooms and space for 10 shops on the street level. Ultimately, on April 17th, the committee chose Norman's proposal with an estimated budget of $80,000. 
Construction began in September of 1890, and the building was completed on June 16, 1892. The lavish hotel would go on to house famous guests, including Presidents William Jennings Bryan, Franklin D. Roosevelt, and Jimmy Carter. The hotel is the epitome of Victorian architecture. The Windsor spans an entire city block, complete with a tower, turret, balconies, and an open three-story atrium. The Windsor's outlook was auspicious from the start, but immediately fell in hard times. In 1893, two years after its construction, an economic depression swept the nation, decimating the tourist trade, which was, unfortunately, the hotel's only reason for being. By the turn of the century, the Windsor filed for bankruptcy and was sold to Charles A. Fricker, a jeweler, for $40,000, a mere fraction of what the building was worth. In September of 1910, the hotel was completely renovated. Electric lights, telephones, steam heat, and new elevators were installed the likes of which would end up being the genesis for our first pair of hotel ghosts. There was a maid, Emily May, and her daughter, Abigail, who lived in the hotel's servants' quarters. Emily May served as the head housekeeper, but in order to support her and her child, she wasn't a stranger to offering extra services to the gentlemen of the hotel. However, Emily May also had a jealous lover who did not appreciate the extra work she put in to help her and her child survive. One day, while she was working in the third-floor hallway, Emily May's lover angrily confronted her, apparently jealous about her conducting sex work. Things got heated. Voices were raised. and Little Abigail heard the commotion and rushed to her mother's side, at first cowering behind her, but then she held her hand in a show of defiance and support her and her mother would no longer tolerate the abuse from this man. You wench, the man bellowed as he shoved Emily May backwards into the open elevator. However, what he didn't notice, or perhaps he did, was that the elevator doors were open, but the lift was not stopped on that floor. Emily May and Abigail tumbled hand in hand down the empty elevator shaft landing in a mangled heap on the ground floor, their fingers still interlocked. Emily May and Abigail's spirits still roam the third floor. Many people spot Abigail rushing up and down the hall, playing with her toys, seemingly in good spirits, so to speak. Sometimes Emily May's ghost can be spotted in the mirror, but when you turn around, there's no one there. It's just you and an icy chill running down your spine. But alas... Emily May and Abigail's accident wasn't the only treacherous tumble at the Windsor Hotel. As a young and beautiful bride made her way down the private bridal staircase to wed her beloved, she tripped on her gown, fell down the steep staircase, and broke her neck. Her spirit now roams the hotel, her white bridal gown now transformed to black as she mourns the married life that she never had. As time ticked on, Windsor Hotel never fully recaptured its initial success. In the 1930s, the property was once again sold, this time to a Mr. Howard Dayton of Daytona Beach, Florida. Mr. Dayton would operate the hotel for four decades until its closure in 1974, after having been open for 82 consecutive years. Floyd Lowry, a doorman and lift operator, worked at the Windsor Hotel for the full 40 years that Dayton owned it. Lowry was a happy chipper man who loved his job, the guests, and the hotel. Floyd always made sure that visitors were happy and comfortable, 
And luckily, Floyd did not die a tragic death in the hotel. However, despite that fact, his ghost still roams the grounds. Sadly, after the hotel closed its doors in 1974, the Windsor Hotel fell to ruin, as buildings tend to do, without living souls to inhabit it. The hotel was donated to the City of Americus in 1978 by Howard Dayton's family, and there it sat abandoned for decades. The only visitors during that time being the pigeons roosting in the rafters and the rodents scurrying along the rotted floorboards. The city had a big decision to make. Either demolish the building and replace it with a parking lot or funnel millions of dollars into its restoration. The residents of Americus were almost unanimous in the decision to restore the city's gem. It cost the city of Americus a lot of money to restore the hotel. However, since the city owned the property, they managed to save nearly half a million dollars by utilizing the prison industrial complex and exploiting inmates for slave labor. Construction and planning took many, many years, but the restoration was finally completed in 1991. The Windsor Hotel is once again the opulent centerpiece to the small city of Americus. While many guests come to stay for a night, the presence of its permanent spectral residents are strongly felt. Guests often approach the front desk to complain about the child running around the third floor, bouncing her ball, playing with her dolls, and giggling to herself, but they're disturbed to discover that there are no children currently staying at the hotel. Countless others asked to speak to the manager to compliment the courteous bellhop Floyd who carried their bags to their rooms. However, there's only one problem, or perhaps two, That's not a service the hotel currently offers, nor do they employ anyone by the name of Floyd. Floyd's spirit brings a positive and uplifting energy to the old hotel, even assisting the staff on occasion. While Floyd may have departed the physical world, his legacy lives on as the namesake of the hotel's restaurant, Floyd's Pub. Ghost hunters have come to the hotel and certified it as haunted after their investigation, and the Windsor proudly displays a plaque that boasts this fact in the hotel lobby. So, if you ever find yourself in Americus, book a night at the Windsor. You may be in for a ghoulish treat. God, you don't know the heaps of trash I had to wade through to scrape together enough rotted crumbs to write this episode. (laughs) I think this is the most amount of sources that I've ever had in the bibliography, but not because they're good sources. I just had so much garbage to wade through. I felt like I was in that scene in Star Wars where in the the trash compactor, ugh, Anyways, there really isn't a lot to go on in these stories. Even the names of the mother and daughter took a while to find. And even then, the times that I did find them, they're always different. They have never really been the same. I had to watch so many terrible shaky cam ghost investigator videos and awful mommy vlogs. Don't get me started on hot mama travel. But I did manage to find some very interesting things that we're going to discuss. It turns out the Windsor's original name was intended to be the Alhambra, 
but this, quote, struck a discordant note in the community. And instead, the name Windsor was chosen for John T. Windsor, who was on the selection committee and who was one of the leading capitalists in Americus. And the community decided the name Windsor was, quote, more suggestive of the aristocratic qualities to which Americus aspires. Honestly, in a city in the South named Americus, I am not surprised. They'd rather go with a very white-sounding name of a prominent capitalist because it was more suggestive of what they aspired to be, aka white and rich and white. But I digress. Alhambra would have been a really cool name. You know how many Windsor hotels there are? Ridiculous. There's one, like, nagging detail I want to get out of the way, and that's the date the hotel was completed. Most sources say that the hotel was completed in June of 1892, which, technically, that's when the grand opening was, but the building itself was completed in October of 1891, but they didn't officially open until the grand opening. It's a minor detail, but it did bother me. The building had been finished, it hadn't been furnished. But so many other things bothered me, including the fact that there is another librarian coming for my gig. Frickin' Licia Miller Schnur, the haunted librarian. But I can't be mad, she was extremely helpful in providing some of the names that uh, were given to the mother and daughter ghost. The names she provided were Emma, Abigail, and Emily May. Other sources have said that the little girl's name was Sally, Teresa, or Selena. Licia reveals that John T. Windsor's wife's name was Emily Amelia. So there may be a link as to this legend and the names of the mother and daughter and the name of John T. Windsor's wife. But other than that, her post really didn't reveal anything I hadn't read elsewhere, despite claiming, quote, I'm the history buff, so I still did my research. Apparently other groups may not have. I have, Lesia, I have. I've done so much research. The story of the mother and daughter has a lot of problems. The first is the date of the occurrence. It was either the early 1910s or the 1920s. The second is the fact that they were women, also poor and possibly women of color, so their murder may have never been reported in any substantial matter, at least not without using a copious amount of slurs. Uh, third is the fact that there aren't any names to assign to it. I mean, there are names. There's like 20 of them. I spent a few hours looking. I didn't find anything historic on this story. As great of a ghost tale as it is. But I think I found something better. Somebody did fall down the elevator shaft. That, that happened. I'm sure it actually probably happened a number of times. The following story was published in the Columbus Inquirer on January 7th, 1894. Down the elevator shaft. Serious accident in Americus to a wealthy Ohioan. Mr. R.S. Rust, an aged man of 78 from Cincinnati, Ohio, vice president of the Union Central Life Insurance Company of that city, fell down the elevator shaft at the Windsor Hotel today and sustained serious injuries. His shoulder is fractured and his nose broken in three places. He fell about 10 feet from the office floor to the basement. The elevator was above, but supposing it being at the office floor, he opened the door of the shaft and stepped into the basement below. Owing to his advanced age, serious results are feared from the shock. Now this is something to go on. He's a man? Check. He's white? A check. He's wealthy? <laughs> check. These make up the trifecta you need to be preserved in history as anything other than a nameless stereotype. 
Using the name provided in the article, I did find an old white man from Cincinnati born around 78 years prior to the article's publication, Reverend Richard Sutton Rust Sr. There was one problem, though. No modern material identified that he had any involvement with the Union Central Life Insurance Company. You would think this would be highlighted in the book passages and articles that I had found about him, but alas, no. Instead, these articles paint a picture of a man fully dedicated to the Episcopal Church who was a staunch abolitionist. Is this the wrong man? He doesn't sound like a capitalist who loves insurance. Nah, they're the same. Okay, porky, uh, por- porky pig. Oh my god. It turns out that when you're rich, you can pick and choose what parts of your story and legacy are propagated. I managed to find an alumni catalog of his college fraternity and also some legislative documents from 1905, which both confirmed that Reverend Richard Sutton Rust and R.S. Rust from the Union Central Life Insurance Company were one in the same. During the Civil War, Rust helped found the Freedmen's Aid Society, which gave teachers from the North supplies and housing to teach freed slaves in the South. Rust also assisted nearly 30 colleges with educating former slaves and their children. After the war ended, he set up the Freedmen's Bureau, which was a division of the United States Department of War, which helped provide shelter and supplies to refugees, freedmen, as well as their wives and children, which is honestly really fantastic. So it does seem like R.S. Rust was actually a really good guy. I kind of felt bad that I hoped he died from the elevator accident just so that we would have an elevator ghost in the hotel. Sorry, Rusty. It turns out he lived, and quite a bit longer. He died in 1906 at the ripe old raisiny age of 91. Good for her. Part of me still wants to change his Wikipedia page to include his major involvement in the insurance company. I mean, it's how he got his daddy Morbucks money, after all. As well as, you know, putting a little blurb about his embarrassing tumble down the Windsor's elevator. But I'll exhibit some self control. However, if one of you wants to do it, you know, sources are in the show notes below. So, while the elevator ghost story is bunk, I was happy to find out that Floyd Lowry was indeed a real person. Which I would hope, since the pub is named after him, and he did work at the hotel for a very long time. I really did find a variety of fantastic records that I'll put on the podcast Instagram at Crimes and Witch Demeanors for you to look at. If you don't follow already, go and follow. What are you doing? So, census records from 1920 to 1940 list Floyd's occupation as a porter at the Windsor Hotel. The 1923 America City Directory. Which is also pretty darn cool, lists Floyd Lowry as a bellman. And I also found Floyd's military records. It appears he was actually drafted during the Second World War, though it's unclear if he actually served or not. So, who was this man? Floyd Ardell Lowry was an African American man born on February 28th, 1903. I don't believe that he ever married, as multiple census records showed that he lived with his mother, Mammy, throughout his lifetime. Though again, I don't have access to more modern census records, so it could change. But when he was 38, he was still living with his mom. But who knows? Anything can happen. Floyd Lowry died on February 1st, 1982, according to the Georgia Department of Health's death index. However, in that particular document, his birth is listed as 1915, and that he was 67 years old at the time of his death. 
However, I know that not to be true. Both his military records and census records corroborate the fact that his birth date was indeed 1903, making him almost 79 at the time of his death. Now, I love that Floyd is such a presence in the hotel and that his memory is able to live on through the name of the pub. However, some of the ghost stories about him make me a little uncomfy. But racism is an uncomfortable topic. When we say that racism is systemic, we mean it's systemic. It is so insidious that it even feeds down into the ghost stories that we tell our children. Ghost stories involving marginalized people or people of color are often based in and perpetuate stereotypes. This is most apparent in the ghost tourism of the South, which exploits the tales of slaves, but it can be observed elsewhere as well. These types of stories often serve to illustrate what would happen if you dared to misbehave, stand up for yourself, or fight for your survival. These individuals often died a tragic death and are left to suffer in the afterlife for their apparent misdeeds. Their stories act as a warning, or even a threat, that you should stay in your lane lest you suffer a similar fate. However, other ghost tales tell of those who led a life of, quote, good servitude, whose life didn't end tragically, but instead came to a graceful close. And it served as a lesson that if you act like this, you too can be rewarded in the afterlife to continue to dutifully serve and labor even after death. Wow, what a reward. These stories perpetuate the idea of the, quote, good black stereotype and further dehumanize the people whose lives they're about. Sadly, I feel like this is the kind of mold that Floyd Lowry has been put into, as he's often seen helping guests with their luggage or working in the elevator. He's never having fun, never just having a drink or just kicking back to relax. But Floyd Lowry was more than just his job. He was a human being. I could hardly believe that he would want to spend his afterlife working for no wages. Would you? God, no. Some of us already make ghost wages here amongst the living, but I digress. Onwards to more ghostly tomfoolery. The story of the bride tripping and falling down the stairs is a strange one. I've only read it, I think, in one article about the hotel and its hauntings. However, that didn't stop me from investigating it for a ridiculously long amount of time. And surprise, surprise, I did find something. While it doesn't match the ghost story and is only tangentially connected to the Windsor, there is some piping hot 129-year-old Victorian tea that I'm about to serve you. This excerpt is from the March 14th, 1892 issue of the Macon Telegraph in an article titled Married in Haste. And now the bride is without a husband. Oh, God forbid. During the past week, Americus was treated to a sensation in which were closely interwoven mystery, romance, and sadness. Nearly three years ago, there came to Americus a young man who gave his name as M.H. McRae. He claimed to have come from North Carolina. He was sober and industrious. Very few who had no business relations with him knew of his presence in the city. He was a skilled mechanic and worked many months on the Windsor Hotel. A little more than a month ago, his marriage to Miss Molly Roach of Montezuma was announced in the Americas and Montezuma papers. Tis said that the marriage resulted after a brief acquaintance and courtship. He brought his bride back to Americas and went about his work as usual in the grocery store of T.D. Bass, in whose service he had been for about four months. One morning, about ten days ago, he failed to report to the store. The day passed away and he still did not come. Inquiry revealed that he had parted with his young wife without a word of dissatisfaction or intended abandonment, 
Since that day, nothing has been heard of him. Like all good, loving, confiding women, his wife refused to believe she had been abandoned. Last Thursday, her uncle, Judge Hamilton of Montezuma, came to Americus and carried her back to his home, whence she left a month ago as a happy, confiding bride. It now looks to be another case added to the long list of victims of the disregarded maxim, marry in haste and repent at leisure. So again, only tangentially connected to the Windsor, but I thought it was some hot Victorian goss to share with you all. But enough about gossip. Back to the ghosts, the ghouls, the ghastly gremlins. In 2006, there was a big hubbub about how paranormal investigators certified the hotel as haunted. A number of articles and local news pieces were run on it. The hotel even made a page on its website that published the full ghost report and even placed a plaque in the lobby boasting about the fact that they were certifiably haunted. And after all that hullabaloo, it's vanished, gone, disappeared, stricken from the internet. It's become a ghost itself. The hotel, which used to brag about its ghosts, doesn't even mention it on their website anymore. Like, they don't even mention the fact the hotel is haunted. And they used to have a full ghost report on their website. I have a feeling the Windsor is kind of keeping things hush-hush because now they're owned by Best Western. And I feel like, God forbid, a Best Western, you know, the epitome of luxury hotels, is haunted. Or maybe they're just embarrassed about what this certificate of authenticity contains. I tried for that pun didn't work. So this report has been deleted from the internet. They tried to cover it up, but they didn't know that a librarian would be on their case. Obviously, I found it. It's not that hard. Um, actually, anyone can do it. If you're ever looking for a page that's now a 404, especially with like missing PDFs, there are two really easy methods to try and recover them. The first is to just paste the URL that gave you the 404 in Google and search. And when the page comes up in the search results, hit the three dots that are next to the results and view the cached, cached, I don't know. It's probably cached. I don't know words. I read them. I don't speak them. But voila. Uh, but if the, the cache isn't old enough and it's still a 404, go to the good old Internet Archive. Go to the Wayback Machine and try and use that. Not as helpful for PDFs, but definitely helpful for web pages. So using both of these methods, boy, did I find what I was looking for. And this legitimate ghost report was, it was something. It was, it was really something. Uh, so here are the official findings of said report. Out of 150 digital photos, three of them yielded possible anomalies. Number two, two EMF fluctuations were documented. One between the second and third floors with a six degree spike and one in the left hallway of the third floor with an eight degree spike. Number three, several cold spots have been detected. In a 129 year old building, you don't say. Number four, some anomalies caught on film. Number five, one of the hallway light bulbs that was completely unscrewed turned on without anyone near it. And finally, number six, through channeling, one investigator picked up the names of little girls, Teresa and Sally. Because of the above phenomena, the report lists the hotel as H-A-U-N-T-E-D. Yes, they, they literally spelled it out. I do have some issues with these findings, especially if they're listing, you know, the very subjective evidence uh, they found via channeling, which, by the way, was conducted thusly. This is a word for word from the report. 
BBGT members Betty and Lisa were in states of meditation and channeling and attempting to make contact with the ghostly inhabitants of the hotel. Betty, while stationed in an adjoining third-floor hallway, singing in a childlike voice the old turn-of-the-century tune, A Tisket, A Tasket, suddenly felt a cool breeze on her right side and the digital thermometer displayed a sudden six-degree drop in temperature. While continuing to sing, she was clearly able to sense the presence of a young girl. After a brief time, the camera recorded what appears to be orbs bouncing a short distance down the third-floor hallway. The names Sally, with an I-E, and the names Teresa were very much attached to the young girl. BBGT member Lisa was also visually picking up and sensing the strong presence of an entity with the name Adams. Later, while attempting to validate our findings, it was discovered that in the early 1940s, there had been an employee named Adams. So we all know that mediums just aren't a great source of reliable information. So I watched videos where other mediums visited the hotel. I did this so you don't have to. And dear lord, they were just an hour and 50 minutes of shaky cam footage. But one of the mediums in these videos experienced giddy feelings outside the bar and decided the ghost of the child was definitely named Selena. But that's an entirely new name from like the other half dozen that we have. Truly just a shot in the dark. And she did this while feeling giddy feelings outside of the bar? I would like to think that was good old Floyd. Happy to see his name and lights and people enjoying a good old cocktail. Or maybe she was just picking up on the positive vibes of the bar, where people often feel very giddy. So in addition to awful mommy vlogs, I tried to find some more first-hand encounters with ghosts at the hotel, and I didn't find too much. Maybe it's because not too many people stay at the hotel. I found a lot of Americus locals just saying they've never even been inside, and it's supposed to be like the crown jewel of their city. But here are two experiences that I did manage to find. The first being, I was staying in room 308 and smelled old-fashioned women's perfume several times while I was in the shower. Honestly, to me, that just sounds like catching a waft of some awful hotel soaps like in the shape of seashells and their awful shampoo but maybe there's an old lady who slipped and fell in the shower maybe she's just a pervert old woman who likes to like peer through the curtain at you while you shower the next experience also involves a bathroom which lends some credence to my new hypothesis of this pervert old lady ghost why is there a bath towel in the toilet that's what my wife asked me last Wednesday, the 17th of March, 2021, at 2.30 a.m. I'm sorry, that's really specific. <clears throat> uh, wow, I'm glad I'm doing this episode now. I wouldn't have even had this ghost story. Anyways, I was staying there on business. What a beautiful hotel. I asked the staff at Floyd's if they had experienced anything, and I got mixed replies. Things about the lights turning on and off occasionally. My wife, who was already in Georgia, decided to surprise me on her way back to Florida. That night, she got up to use the bathroom in room 211 and quickly came back to bed asking me why a full-sized folded bath towel was sitting in the toilet. Didn't sleep well that night, obviously. It wasn't until the next day that the stories of hauntings came from everyone I spoke to. Weird experiences and no plausible explanation on how the towel ended up in the toilet. I slammed doors, jumped up and down, and could not get a folded towel to so much as move off the rack above the toilet. If I ever go back to Americus, I surely will choose the Windsor Hotel again. Magnificently strange. 
So what I'm getting from these personal first-hand encounters is that investigators should spend less time singing creepy folk tunes in hallways at 2.30 in the morning and spend more time on the toilet. Regardless, if they're haunted, I'm sure they'll find some frightening things. I just love that this man lost sleep because a towel fell in their toilet. They didn't see anything else. There was just a towel in the toilet, and he was like, obviously, I didn't sleep that night. I would have just been like, oh, yeah, the towel fell. But apparently this man was like, "Eh, it's the pervy old lady dumping towels in my toilet. Anyways, what do you think? Is the Windsor Hotel haunted? Would you want to stay there? Personally, I don't think it's very haunted. Two-thirds of the stories aren't even true, or at least verifiable with the historic record. But I think I would like to enjoy an old-fashioned in Floyd's Pub just for the fun of it, just to vibe. Any of you want to join me on that drink? Let me know. Comment on the Instagram post. Again, at Crimes and Witch Demeanors. There you can view the documents, historic photos, and other scans from today's episode. If you listen on Overcast and you enjoy the show or today's episode, please be sure to hit that little star icon. It really helps with the algorithm. And likewise, if you're an Apple fiend and you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you haven't done so already, please leave a review. It also helps a lot. I just want to get this podcast out there to more little ears. But if you want to keep it to yourself because you want to be indie, that's cool, selfish, but cool. So please, look before you enter an elevator. Remember, racism is systemic. And that sex work is real work. And as always, stay spooky. Bye. (laughs) 